0: the music podcast that delivers the objective truth about the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed i'm your host dave gebro and if you're tuning in for the first time ask yourself this do you think most modern discussions about music lack a certain fire and perspective also are you kind of a crazy completist type son of a bitch like me if the answer is yes and yes welcome home please join our facebook group Discography: Soldiers of Sound. We're on Instagram and Twitter, too, but the Facebook group is home. Home of artists, writers, filmmakers, musicians, you name it. Overall, a melting pot of unbelievably talented sons of bitches. It's good times stretching for miles in every direction. My recommendation, if you like what you hear, is to join the group, then join up on the rest of the platforms, too. Then, pretty please rate the podcast five stars along with a beautifully worded review especially if you're on Apple or Spotify it'll help a lot on whatever platform you do call home you'll be privy to a never ending flow of ongoing bonus content giveaways, free swag and encouraging words of wisdom on how to never, ever give up on your rock and roll dreams of maintaining a Lester Bangs-like perspective deep into adulthood don't forget The link to our legendary playlist is in the show notes and also on our website at discograffiti.com. This is an invaluable resource if, like me, you just hate listening to shitty songs. Lastly, but not leastly, a heartfelt Discograffiti thanks goes out to Joe Cravino and to my wife, Jen, without whose invaluable help on the show, we would be entirely dead in the water. I seriously can't thank you enough. I care too much about this show to be entirely easy to deal with, so also, I'm sorry. Okay, back to business. First things first, you need to know just how seriously I take this craziness. Discography is heavily researched, and the music's always reassessed with fresh ears. I'm not just covering albums. Uh-uh. I do a searingly honest deep-dive analysis of all EPs, singles, comp tracks, relevant solo work, and bootlegs. Every release is slapped with an objectively accurate star rating between 0 and 5, which allows us all to come face-to-face with the true shape of an artist's overall arc. In this episode of Discograffiti, we'll be turning our spray cans back on Big Star. The remnants of beetle magic alchemized into the greatest, most sparkling power pop that ever was, turned the abyss that swung around and stared right back. And this is part two. Uh, this is 1973 until present day. And we are back with Bart Bielmere from Dangerous Minds uh, as our special guest. And last we checked in, a big star had actually deteriorated, had broken up. Uh, Chris Bell had left the band. It's the beginning of 1973, and although there's intimations of a new record, everything is totally fucked up. So anyway, there are all kinds of crazy shit going on with the band, Uh, but after a few months, Everybody except for Bell decided to reform Big Star. So the three of them resumed work on Radio City. Um, and, you know, and the the title, again, is that same note of unerring Damn. optimism of number one yeah. record, which is like, our yeah. record's Radio City. You know, and Hummel yeah. said calling an LP Radio City would be kind of wishful thinking. And, of course, it didn't pan out that way. Um, right. Right.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. they. Uh, the, is it clear to you? Because I think they split up for a period in early 73. They were definitely on. Yeah, they were they were uh,
0: done.
1: And they yeah. Were, OK. They just reformed.
0: Yeah, without, yeah they reformed without him. Um,
1: but they also really reformed for that really legendary now writers uh, convention in Memphis. Right.
0: Tell me what was so impactful about that particular show so yeah so
1: Arden brought in you know they spent like this crazy amount of money flying and rock critics from all over the place including uh lester banks i think nick toshis was there cameron you know very young cameron crowe and um bought a tremendous amount of booze got them all liquored up and then big star hit the stage and it was just like pandemonium. Like, um, you know, I, I think uh, yeah, Richard um, uh, Meltzer was there too. Um, so, all the famous rock critics basically from that period. And they were all like dancing and having a good time. I mean, people couldn't believe that, you know, rock critics were dancing at a rock show. It was right, just right. unheard of. But everyone was just having this great time. And and they went so crazy for Big Star that, you know, the guys kind of looked at each other and said, maybe we should give this another, another shot. Um, you know, because uh, I think they really just reunited. I'm not sure exactly, because I don't think they really decided to be a band again until after that. Um, so maybe they still were just unsure if they were going to, if they were actually going to reunite.
0: Right. Uh, for, right.
1: You know, for anything more than just the show. So that was really the turning point uh, and where we kind of began, you know, the Alex alex version of the band so you know big star 2.0
0: if you and and although he's uncredited uh chris is still haunting the record uh he's you know contributing oh my soul or he's contributed to the writing of some of it including oh my soul Back of a car yeah Um, exactly yeah and then shortly before radio city came out um Andy did leave the band, uh, thinking it wouldn't last, and he, it was his final year of college, and he decided to focus on studying and live a more normal life. Uh, he was uh, replaced by John Lightman uh, for a short while before the band dissolved. Tell me this, brother. Well, I mean, I know this one is, in, in some ways, this is like the big one for you, Right.
1: It is, yeah. It's the first one that I ever heard, so it's the first one I connected with and made me a fan. Is it fan. the most
0: resonant one for you in a lot of ways?
1: I think it is. You know, also, uh, you know, I, I really connected with it in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's very, you know, lyrically honest. Of course, the songs are really catchy. It's a great rock and roll record. I just, I don't know about you, but I have, rock and roll's just a part of my DNA. I mean, it sounds cheesy, but I grew up on rock radio, so... Um, i i've always latched on to great rock music and um radio city definitely falls in that category and i yeah. love the loose the looseness of it um right right you know all oh my soul is 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 if you only knew number one record at that point it probably would be pretty jarring because it's a super loose song um and jody's drum fills are incredible again they're, they're almost like hooks um uh I always love
0: I always love Yeah, it's great stuff. Life is White, which by the way, I've always loved that title. I don't quite know what it means, don't know what the intent is, but I yeah. uh, always liked it. Um, I I love Life is White. Love the harmonica too. touches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: that's another yeah, that's another like that's the only time a harmonica appears in a in a big star song that I that I can think of. Um yeah, at times it has like a chugging, almost like a glam quality to it, but it's very yeah. dynamic with lots of you know interesting changes. Um, I love that very Beatle-y middle section, you know, with the with the piano solo. That's really great. Sort of yeah. a, a sudden left turn that you kind of would hear in a, in a Beatles song. Um, yeah,
0: it is a very Beatle-y song, um, and there's a very interesting lurching four-four thing to it. Uh, the feel of it, however, they arrived at it. Uh, and Jody's playing is seems perfectly suited it, it's a great song yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah, yeah. Hummel's uh, contribution well actually Hummel uh, was co-writer of life is white but uh, way out west but who'd have guessed it his contribution's as good as anything else on the record yeah it's a
1: great song and if Jody's first lead vocal uh, on record uh, he also fine singer uh, yeah yeah does a great job with the song. It's Yeah, it's another, yeah, another, of, uh, an album full of great tracks, but yeah, that's another great one.
0: So what's going on is uh, AHN, of course, uh, like Jessica Hahn. Um, this is a great song and also the yeah. first indication, uh, even if you don't listen to the lyrics, of the dissolution of the sparkle motion perfection of the number one record vibe into waters that were... Uh, far choppier and and, and fraught with doubt, dissent, substance abuse, chaos. You can hear it all in the DNA of this song. So to me, it's the flagship tune on Radio City uh, because the sonic imprints of both what came before and what comes after are here. So the... And you gotta love the uh, him yelling "Oh no, oh no!" over and over and over again. It's just a phenomenal yeah. song. It sums up this record of the you know the big question mark that hangs over fate itself. Um, it's not my favorite song on the album, but it's the it's the most perfectly representative.
1: Yeah, you know, when I was listening to this in preparation for this podcast, you know, it's a song, of course, I've heard thousands of times probably, um, but I never really thought of it before as a, as a potential song that could have been on Big Star's third. It ha- sort of has that sound a bit. It's sort of looking towards that sort of sound and arrangement. And uh, um, it's one of the first of, of three songs on the album that are, are really not really Big Star songs at all. But um, the studio project that Alex had going on, I think, when they were kind of broken up is when they, he he took it up that they uh, dubbed the Dolby fuckers, which is um right Richard Richard Rosebow on drums who we haven't mentioned up this time, but it is very much a part of uh, of the big star story. Um and just he, he's definitely in that always around. Um and he plays on third as well and he plays drums on a lot of uh I'm the cosmo the I'm the cosmo he, songs. Yeah and
0: he, he co-wrote Modlang. Lang that's right. Work. Yeah, that's
1: another Dolby fucker song on uh, yeah. on Radio City. Um, uh, but yeah, it's interesting because uh, Richard and Jody sort of have similar styles, but not really. Like Richard's kind of more of a harder hitter. He doesn't quite do the fills that Jody does. So if you're listening closely, you can kind of tell it's not Jody.
0: You get what you deserve gotta be honest i was never much of a fan of this song i know this is going to raise hackles i always skipped it it's a it's a bummer because it's a decent enough song but radio city to me is not about decent songs i believe it's a lame end to the album side sorry
1: you know i it's all all relative
0: it's all relative
1: i think it's a good spot maybe for it um I think I know what you mean. Like, whenever I think of this song, I think I'm not a huge fan of it, so I'm kind of with you. Um,
0: I never was into it. I just never, it never got me.
1: I really like the, the middle section of the too bad, such a drag. Ow! So much pain down the drain. A lot of us ain't got yes. no plans. I really like those, those I lyrics. I actually, and,
0: I do agree with you that I do like that. But when it kicks in, it feels... Uh, Almost like a song that you would change the station if you heard it on, on the radio. I
1: think I know what you mean. Yeah, and I I do love Alex's guitar playing on that one, and this the sparkly tone of his of his guitar on that one. Like yeah. that that is it's one of the more produced and maybe uh, similar sounding to the number one record as far as a, a guitar okay. sound. But yeah, maybe they were trying to overcompensate with the production because the song really isn't as good as as, as most of the other songs. So I, I I do, I
0: get what you're saying. mod Lang. So we kick off with a solid cockrock rock boogie kind of thing. Kind of sounds like an, an ardent twist on grand funk or something. And it's better than I'm making it sound, but it's not that much better than I'm making it sound.
1: It's funny, Alex later admitted he stole the lyrics from uh, bunch of different blues songs um so he might have even thought of it as a throwaway
0: i have a great i just got a great album idea uh you take an old blues guy and just have him do uh unattributed covers of original led zeppelin songs (laughs) nice (laughs) all right so back of a car all of a sudden boom we are back on terra firma what an incredible song i mean this song could have been on fucking abbey road that i'm and i'm not even being hyperbolic
1: yeah it's a really euphoric kind of song um it's i think of it kind of as the sister song of in the street um and it even the vocal even sounds a bit like chris so i imagine he must have at least yeah. sang a guide vocal or something for this at some point or you know when they were rehearsing
0: written by chilton and hummel
1: yeah you know why because uh yeah chris chris refused any writing credit uh he he wanted nothing to do with any of the, any credit on Radio City, um, but he did play a role. As you said earlier, he did play a role in yeah, in, yeah. in writing the song. Um, but yeah, more more great fills from from Jody here. Um, another just yeah, uh, great lyrics. Yeah. The
0: next one is probably my favorite song by the band. It's probably my favorite of theirs. Uh, Daisy Glaze has always been, uh, you know, a phenomenally uh, moving song. And it's, what What can you say when you get a song in two movements and both of the movements are equally powerful as the other? Um, so it, it seems to at least musically describe their disillusionment. And then with three whacks of the skins, uh, at least... It feels to me like it de- it's detailing a refusal to give up no matter what that's the vibe that i pick up um but only musically you hear the drag then you hear the you know fuck this we're not going down with that this is me reading into it over the course of 30 years
1: no i love that but yeah it's really it's you kind of get two for two songs for the price of one in this one and yeah uh, i also love that then, so, that sort of uh ending that doesn't quite it's not quite together you know kind of a. Uh, they're not quite together yeah. on that ending, um, yeah.
0: And then the you're gonna die, you're gonna decease. Yeah. I mean, the power of the lyrics, the song is perfect. Doesn't quite squeak through into top shelf classic territory, but it's a good it's a good tune regardless.
1: Yeah, it's sort of a anomaly. I mean, i guess there's a few anomalies on this record, maybe, but um, uh, it's the last of the of the Dolby fuckers tracks on here. Though uh, Andy. Uh, overdubbed a bass part so it's he's playing bass on the final version. But this one always struck me as very really British invasion sounding. I mean that's a talked about a lot in with Big Star as far as their influences that they were inspired by, you know, British invasion bands. And of course the Beatles. We've talked about the Beatles influence, but this one just seems to have a more like you can't quite pick out what band they're trying From to
0: the title down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It does seem like a mid sixties title too. Yeah. It does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Like a, like a Doug psalm kind of a thing.
1: Right, right, yeah. Uh, uh, she's about to move her, right. And uh, yeah, yeah. it has some strange, like, percussion like going on in it. Um, uh, and, but I always love that line, uh, when she smiled like crocodiles. That's a, I think that's a... Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Fantastic. That cool. is great. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so September Girls, the question here is how perfect is this song? And the answer is 100%.
1: Yep, six so, Six stars.
0: Yeah, it is just absolutely perfect. Um obviously named after California girls. Um this was released as a single. There's no god obviously because it was it didn't go anywhere. Um considered roundly considered one of the greatest songs of all time. And um and uh, actually, one of the big things that wound up happening uh, to provide a resurgence for the band was the Bangles cover of this song. And the first um, time
1: Alex ever made any money
0: off of Big Star. Right. Right. Exactly. So Morpha 2 is next. Oh, we're not going to talk more about
1: September Girls? <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's just, do it. I'm
0: sorry. Well, I'm just,
1: oh, i think you're, I'm go. I think you're right, though, just to assume everybody already knows this song. Um, but I mean, it's such a beautiful track. Those the chiming guitars, the, um, I mean, you got to love an, a pop song with a, an amazing, you know, middle eight with, you know, it starts with a, you know, when I get to bed late at night. Um, and then the fuck that drum break, Jesus Christ, coming out of like a yeah, the guitar yeah. solo. I mean, it's, you know, it's just so amazing. And the, I loved you while well, mind that, that lyric is, right, yep, yep. um, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is perhaps, you know, Alex's greatest song, and yeah, certainly one of the greatest rock songs of all time.
0: I just want to say also that sometimes I feel like I take it for granted. Yeah. Like, it's it's so simple, and so iconic, and so um, all-encompassing in terms of um, describing a feeling or conveying a feeling that I don't even see it for how amazing it is, but it really is uh, just a an absolute ray of sunlight. So Morph Two kind of doesn't count and probably would have fit better on third. Yes, um, yes. I always thought
1: of this but, as a third sounding uh, track.
0: But at the very least, this should have been the final song on side one. So you don't have such a t- such a traffic jam of tiny songs concluding the LP. Yeah, the um, sequencing
1: gets weird here because I think they did intend for September Girls to be the last song, but they, the album was a bit short. So they put these songs on the end, but why they chose to put them on the end and not somewhere else is is something that
0: I'd have no knowledge of. The last song of the side on many, many mixtapes I've made for girlfriends over the years, uh, who uh, simply weren't lucky enough to wed me, uh, (laughs) was this song due to its brevity and overwhelming sweetness. It's a great song, Um, and it's one of the greatest and simplest love songs of all time
1: yeah it's a, an uncharacteristically uh sweet song for alex too um i i think of this kind of as a as a cousin of 13. um you know uh, it's very straightforward but you know i wonder if it's in part it's so short because alex couldn't stand to be that sweet for that long
0: I, that is the perfect summation of that song so uh, this is a crucial record for the band, seeing as it combines elements of abject optimism from the first one and dissonant despair from the sec from the third. So, doing this trawl, it became quite apparent to me, just for me, that this is their least essential record. If you can actually call any of their records inessential, which you can't, there are just there are a ton of good songs on the record, and the vibe is a very interesting combination of everything that they do. But the problem for me, um, if you can call it a problem, because really this is totally nitpicking, is in the very middle of the record, you get a couple of songs that feel like grand funk boogie and just get in the way of this album being a masterclass in what big star do best. Incredible pop songs that have an affinity for breaking your heart. So what I'm talking about is like, that you get what you deserve, maud lang which i don't dislike but those two songs in a row it's the only pa- thing pacing wise on any of their records that's a little bit wonky to me so i i give it four and three quarter stars okay
1: um you know I, I see what you're saying with that but i still yeah it's sort of hard to be uh you know objective know. Uh, uh, fully you know sure. um uh but you know, i guess i always th- I, when I if i try to think of those songs objectively and now now i think i'm a little more critical of them uh thanks to you dave um but for maybe for good reason because they aren't as good as the other songs in the album but i also thought it helps maybe mix up the record a little bit um but i can't help but five stars
0: just as number one record had fallen victim to poor marketing so too with radio city so Columbia, who now is in complete control of the Stax catalog refused to um, to uh, to deal with it there was a disagreement and they just let it hang so without a distributor uh, sales of Radio City although they were greater than number one record were minimal at only around 20,000 copies you probably have a different figure on hand
1: yeah I, yeah a lot less than that but um, but uh, what do you have? I mean, still, I think it was less than five thousand
0: at the time. Um, Whatever it was, it was not enough.
1: No, it was not enough, and yeah, it was, it was this, sort of the same thing all over again. And yeah, Columbia just wasn't wasn't interested in, in anything but the stack stuff, so they just you know right. they didn't they didn't promote it. So yeah.
0: So here we are again, and these guys are like, "What the fuck?" I mean, because not only are they putting their all into it, but it quite it's it's it's. Um, you can't possibly make uh, an argument for the idea that it's not great. Uh, So 1974, we're just gonna have a mention here because we don't really go in depth on live albums unless they're epoch-changing or epoch-defining, but uh, live on WLIR, uh, recorded in 74, direct to two-track at Ultrasonic Studios in New York uh, for the radio station WLIR and released in 92. Then it was reissued in 2019 under the title Live on WLIR on Omnivore Records. There's only one thing that I want to mention on this, and it'll be on the playlist, but Motel Blues, the version on this record, is indispensable. It's one of the most crucial songs from the band, even though it's a cover of a Loudon Wainwright song. They own it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's an incredible performance by Alex. It's during a segment where he's um, just playing an acoustics,
0: like a four-song set. This is a particularly thin live uh, recording that I never much cotton to. Uh, I even had this way, way back in the day, and I did too. Um, yeah, I mean,
1: I had it when Ryko yeah. put it out, but it had been widely bootlegged before that. I, just, I never, I never heard the bootleg. You're a
0: studio band. I, I never listened to this one. Um, so, but there is one great takeaway um in mid-show there's an interview and whoever it is says uh, you're getting an awful lot of critical acclaim for your new album it's really good and he said and chilton says yeah that's uh nice i hope it sells we've had critical acclaim before but no money it's so funny how upfront he is about it
1: yeah yeah in the end yeah, completely dry you know alex uh i will say hometown. i give
0: this record three and a half stars
1: get out of here you're not you're not rating this are you
0: no no it doesn't really i'm I'm retracting that rating. okay retracting all right so uh i do want to mention though that andy hummel is gone john lightman is playing bass on this and
1: you've only been with him a few weeks when they uh, when they made this oh is
0: that so yeah after the first two records tanked uh alex chilton and jody stevens come back to arden in late 1974 uh, accompanied by what uh their, what bruce eaton their biographer describes as a large and revolving cast of memphis musicians to record under jim dickinson a batch of starkly personal often experimental and by turns beautiful and haunting songs that were anything but straight up power pop um, john fry recalls that the sessions they had were burdened by severe personal issues um, uh, Eaton tells how John Fry finally called a halt to the escalating madness and the album was mastered by Larry Nix on February 13th, 1975. So, different opinions exist regarding the categorization of 3rd sister lovers as a big star album. According to Chilton, Jody and I were hanging together as a unit still, but we didn't see it as a big star record. We never saw it as a big star record. That was a marketing decision when the record was sold in whatever year that was sold. And they didn't ask me anything about it, and they never have asked me anything about it. Jody Stevens said, I've seen it in different ways. To a great extent, it is an Alex solo record. It's Alex's focus. It's his emotional state of being. But I brought in the string section for the one song I wrote, and Alex hit it off with Carl Marsh and started using Carl in the string section for other things. What would that album have been like if it didn't have the strings? Uh, According to Eaton, the mastering card identifies Chilton as the recording artist. What do you think, Bart? Yeah, I
1: mean, Alex has said that they uh, had never really decided on a name, but that they definitely were not going to call it Big Star. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just uh, there's so much to it. They imp-
0: were going into the studio and dicking around, right? I mean, it, it was not it was not necessarily Big Star album three. Yeah, it was. It was. They
1: just basically called it the Alex and Jody product, project. In fact, on the on the uh on the master tape for it on the spine it just says Alex and Jody. In fact, there's a um, you know the uh the test pressing that they did um for it that they shopped around to labels which you know we'll, we'll talk more about that I guess in a bit. But um it just says Alex and Jody on the spine and then on the front it says Big Star's third, but it's like it's unclear to me like when somebody wrote that on the front of the of the box, you know, for the master. It could have been years later it's 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 yeah i mean
0: look the fog around this is part of the draw because there's
1: a lot of fog here
0: yeah by all accounts this is a quaalude and shrouded record phase three holocaust 1974 to 75. so in fall of 74 third slash sister lovers is recorded the initial release correct me if i'm wrong bart uh march 1978.
1: I, yeah, I know it came out in 78, was the first release.
0: Okay, um, yeah. yeah, so Sessions kicked off at Arden in September, 74. Um, and although Arden created promotional white label test pressings for the record in 75, uh, there were financial issues. Uh, the record was really uncommercial and uh, a lack of interest from Chilton and Jody uh, in continuing the project prevented it from from ever being uh, finished or released at the time was there so, i mean
1: was there a lack of interest on i don't remember ac- a- actually hearing that i mean i know like you said fry put an end to the sessions once it got completely out of hand like yeah. where they were bringing in homeless guys to sing you know lead vocals and stuff um and he just, is
0: that what was happening yeah I, yeah
1: um it got really how? crazy um and how? uh you know uh, it, it was taken away from alex really he was Dick, Jim Dickinson, the producer, um, basically cut Alex off from the project. And, uh, I mean, who knows why? It could have been for very good reasons, because Alex was completely out of his head at that point. Um, I
0: don't know. But that, you know what's strange about that, dude? You know, what lays waste to that whole vibe is that incredible box. And I don't always, a lot of these reissues, Uh, are really just trying to, you know, squeeze blood from a stone and just grab as much dough as possible from people. But Complete Third is really interesting because the notion of this record, the accepted backstory, is that Chilton was out of his mind and, you know, completely nuts. He came in there with a very strong, clear game plan. Those demos make it very clear he knew what he wanted.
1: Well, he he was cognizant enough to realize that he wanted to capture on tape what was kind of going on in his world and in his mind. I mean, that's what's so incredible. Let's just really get to what this record is. I mean, it's an incredible document of someone's, uh, you know, decaying mental state, decaying relationships, decaying, uh, fading, you know, professional, uh, you know, uh, career, music career. Um, There's just a lot of... uh, dissolution here and, and and disillusionment um you know with with everything and he was he realized he wanted to capture that and uh dickinson really yeah. helped him do that um
0: and, and i want to say as far as the final masters go that to me this is less a big star album than very easily the greatest alex chilton solo album ever made i love
1: you said that because yes because i In some ways, it's yeah, I mean, it's regrettable in some ways that it is considered a big star album at all because it really isn't. It's an Alex album, but um, it's certainly more famous as being this you know unreleased, unfinished, um, you know, big star album.
0: Look, I look, I'm saying this to you, but at the same time, I consider it a big star record. Um, yet I I do not like Chilton Solo. I, I believe that willful negation is too strong in his work. And so it's kind of like the same thing of if I go into a restaurant and I sit down and the, the waiter comes over and tells me how shitty the food is and how crappy the service you're about to get is, I'm not going to stick around for the meal. Right. So what happened here? So Arden shopped the tapes um, and actually like everything was uh, the packaging was apparently with, uh, loaded with exclamation points. You know when it's like when what you're selling is not exciting enough, so you, you overdo it with exclamation points and all it does is reinforce the notion of despair. Finally, after, you know, hitting the pavement for a long time, a small indie named PVC released the record in 1978. So it was released by Aura Records in London as well. <clears throat> and then later in the year came the uh, the PVC release. So one of the interesting things about the, uh, the varied releases of Third and Sister Lovers is that there's no definitive releases because it was left uh, unfinished. You know, my favorite album of all time is the Beach Boys Smile. It's a similar type of thing. There's, uh, you know, the band had never de- agreed upon a definitive version. The title even, the running order, the cover art, it's all up in the air, and then there's original songs that were variously included or omitted. You have uh, the Kinks till the end of the day, Nature Boy, and Jerry Lee Lewis's whole lot of shaking going on. Um, so the 1992 CD release on Ryko. Uh, which was assembled with Jim Dickinson's involvement. That's where I came on board. That's the one I'm familiar with. Yeah. And so same here, same here. That's the
1: oh, first oh, first one I uh, uh, re- when I really fell for the record was when that was reissued because I'd heard it before, but I don't think I was quite ready for it.
0: Right. Oh, oh see, I never had, but I regard this uh, as kind of the ultimate version because it's the one I'm familiar with, but. The so the one that I'm going to go off just because I used complete third as the template to uh, for this trawl, so I'll just yeah. use that I'll just use that running order, but. Complete third is amazing. Not every box set is a homer, uh, but it's every demo, rough mix, outtake, alternate take, and final master from the third sessions that are known to exist. Well, let's talk about that
1: order for a second, because they tried to, what they did was they, the first 14 songs mirror the test pressing that they shopped around. So the thinking was that that was the closest, uh, that version that they shopped around was was could have been released in that order at the time, and then they just tacked on the remaining songs um, from that were that were mastered and have come out on various releases. Um, since then, I mean,
0: it's sh- so it's sh- ard- it sh- you're, you're saying the Ardent test pressing? Yeah, the the yeah the
1: 1975 Ardent test pressing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that kicks off with "Stroke at Noel," and you have Downs, Femfertil, Thank You, Friends. Holocaust, Jesus Christ, Blue Moon—that's side one. Then Kiss Me, Sometimes, which is the working title of For You. Uh Dana, Nighttime, whole lot of shaking going on. Kangaroo, Take Care.
1: Yeah, and take—that's reasonable. Yeah, Take Care is a great closer. um
0: It's a perfect closer. Yeah. yeah.
1: What what I I mean I don't know if I'm jumping ahead at all, but I cannot believe that big black car. And you can't have me were not included on the right, original right. record. Yeah, like,
0: that's great. That's freaking crazy. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's incredible that's really to me that they, they did not include those songs on on that on that press Um
0: you know, a lot of box sets, I think, just by nature of just the money squeeze thing are just totally inessential. Complete star, complete third really does paint a really vivid picture and is as a big star fan, it is very essential. Uh the first Volume, uh, the first disc is Demos to Sessions to Roughs. There's nothing I'm going to put on the playlist from this. Uh, It's just good to have. Uh, So volume two, the second disc is Roughs to Mixes. There is something from that I do want to pull. The version of Lovely Day, the Fry Rough Mix, is a very sunny modulation of what landed on third that I think is worthy of uh, being isolated. You know what I'm talking about? It's got, like, uh, it's obviously way too upbeat for what wound up on the record, but it's pretty great.
1: Cool. Yeah, I didn't revisit the entire box before this, but we should say that's the that's an early version of Stroke at Knoll, the uh, lovely day.
0: Right, lovely right, day. right. Um, all right, so let's go through the track listing here, because we have uh, an absolutely repulsively insane grouping of great songs. We start things off with, again, the, uh, the mirror of the 1975 Arden Test Pressing. Their first song was Stroke at Noel, and it's an incredible sing-song melody with tons of production space, and a lot of upper-crust rarefied air inhabiting this one, a very tasty string chart that elevates the tune to top-tier status. It's just a great song. Okay, well, the second song, it's definitely starting to smell like quaaludes in here now, and the shambolic frolic begins. So Downs, which is uh, less a song than an atmosphere setter, and uh, boy, does it
1: absolutely yeah this is like a really wobbly uh track again has that meta quality that sometimes these big star songs do but this one especially like I mean Mm -hmm. yeah I mean Alex is like slurring his his voices you know it's and you're just assuming that he actually is like high when he did the vocal Um,
0: yeah I mean I I I would imagine that he's probably high through the whole thing but yeah yeah, this is like his has got to get you into my life about Quaaludes. <laughs> <laughs> this,
1: this one too is like you know it's there's a fu- there's a funny story behind this because this is the song that convinced John Fry to um give alex you know the go-ahead to start the sessions for this album what yeah really yeah, yeah but but get this so um John Fry thought the song had had pop potential in the demo form and he made the mistake of saying that within earshot of alex so alex (laughs) proceeded to completely sabotage it um the the snare drum is a (laughs) a, is a basketball um
0: yeah yeah, that that i remember um and those those i remember in fact i remember reading about that in rolling stone and thinking huh i should check this band out (laughs) that's
1: great um but yeah, this, those steel drums really keep keep things off kilter. Um, and it does really point towards Chilton's, like, Ram, the Ramsack Shackle solo recordings that he would do. It sounds more like that stuff than than anything else here. Um, yeah. So it's also weird yeah. to have this song placed so early in the album when you're you know, trying to sell it to record companies. You
0: know, Oh, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a bizarre again. second track. Uh, then we have Femme Fatale, which is a quaalude dissemblage of the classic VU tune with the full French, uh, Psycho Killer-esque, Elle est d'une femme uh, a, a great song. Yeah, Definitely yeah. A, a...
1: One of the earliest VU covers, for sure. Or at least a high-profile one. I mean, well, relatively high-profile. Yeah,
0: and, and I want to say this is an essential song for the record, but track listing wise I really hate, uh, uh, you know, till, till the End of the Day, Nature Boy, a um, whole lot of shaking going on. Never a fan of those
1: okay i mean yeah we'll we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get to those um
0: but, we'll get there, um but i just want to say this is the cover that belongs here i think
1: it does yeah the arrangement is totally suited for the record like it sounds it fits well um and has uh somehow uh alex convinced uh steve cropper of uh booker t and the mg's to play the guitar on it and so it's got that it's got that too
0: also of all the songs to ask him to be on i know it's, so I know, it's really wild uh thank you friends Always thought this should have been an opener. Um, Ah, Always liked it. Would have been a great opener. Yeah, yeah. I always liked it more than Kiss. It works as a closer Uh, too. Even though, even though,
1: take care is a great closer. It could work as a closer. Take care is
0: just too good. Yeah. Uh, So it's a kind of a snide, sarcastic rocker. But see, is Uh, it though?
1: I think it's still debated this day if Alex was being sarcastic or not.
0: I think there's a one thousand percent chance he only intended it sarcastically. Uh, yeah, I think he. Was, I think so. Uh, I think it was a fuck you, basically. I
1: just don't think it's evident in the performance. I think it's a very straight no, ahead performance. Right, right. Um, but also, one of the really interesting things is here is uh, as the influence of, of Yoko Ono on this record, which this is the first place we hear it on the uh, the very end of the song. There's some very full on Yoko impressions, like going on that you can detect more in different mixes. Um, huh. on here, but uh,
0: It's not something I'd even thought about but oh, I didn't know it was blatant influence
1: Yeah, go back to even listen to some of those rough mixes, because um, there's one of them in particular um, where uh, he, it, he's totally doing Yoko at, at the end of the song, and so are the background singers so it, it's it's interesting um, Wow And then Holocaust, of course, he I think he did a subconscious lift of the song Mrs. Lennon by, uh, by Yoko Um
0: Well, you know what the the song was originally called? Uh, Your Mother's Dead. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, Lennon had a song called My Mommy's Dead. That's true.
1: So, yeah, that's almost like a a bit of a pastiche, I guess. But, I mean, this this, this is maybe. This is the most atmospheric of all the third tracks. And, I mean, Haunting doesn't begin to to describe the song. Well,
0: like, okay, so there's the two songs that are pure unadulterated bleakness uh, Holocaust and Big Black Car. yeah so the album gets its rep is a terrific album to slit your wrist to because of those two songs uh, I always preferred big Black Car yeah Holocaust is yeah. is more just like I think it's less of a great song than big black Car and more of just a very very strong vibe
1: I would agree it's a hard song to listen to um yeah. it's it's a devastating song and it's spooky it's a weird. It's a weird song. Um, just, just the recording yeah. of it, the production is is so strange. Um, yeah, and I, you know, often find myself skipping it because it is such a hard song. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I never skip Big Black Car. No, I never. Love Big...
1: I love Big Black Car so much. I'm glad you do too. So, yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll but get there's, that.
0: But, you know, there's, there's a, a melodic underpinning that carries you through the song and helps you through some of the despair. Not that he's looking for that buffer, but that's what it does. Well, um, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, let's, uh, we can talk about Big Black Car for a second, right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, the song too, to me, I, I just love the metaphor of that. Um, you know, the idea of, prote- of protecting yourself and that you are surrounding yourself with, you know, with walls, or in this case, car-, yeah. car doors or whatever you want to call it. But so also, I think this is Big Black Car, too, is kind of the ultimate song as far as an arrangement, because they actually incorporate silence into the arrangement
0: of the song. So, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, another classic tune, one of the best on the album. Um I, you know, I think had this been on either of the first two records, the tape would have unquestionably been saturated with beatific John Fry overdubs. But as it stands, there's so much space here; it's so beautiful, perfection. And I'm Jewish, so you know, I'm I'm for real on this.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm a, I'm one of those people that says I was raised Catholic, but uh, you know. Not, right. not practicing, but yeah, Alex writes a really good Christmas song here. Like it's a, uh, it's a
0: really yeah, it's um, really good. And it's
1: again, it's it's so weird because it's it it both doesn't fit in the record and, and fits just fine. um Also, you know, coming after Holocaust, you really need something lighter after. So it's, that's that's a, that's a nice bit of sequencing uh there.
0: Totally, yeah. And then uh, Blue Moon is chamber pop gorgiosity. I mean. Uh, it, it kind of reminds me of that plaintive, uh, totally inoffensive Vivaldi four season kind of a, a vibe. Um,
1: it, sounds it's like a, very it,
0: it sounds like a standard to me. Like
1: sometimes I often yeah. find myself looking at the credits to see who wrote it because it, it sounds it, it, it sounds like an older song. Um, but yeah, it's really lovely.
0: Why should I love Kizami when I've always only liked it? It's a solid rocker. Um, yeah. I hate that the bass sounds like farting. <laughs> <laughs> I, it just doesn't have it, it. Yeah, it doesn't have the same kind of punch to me that a lot of their rockers do. And so I always hated that it kicked off the Riko re-release.
1: I agree, it's not really a great opener, but it does open open the album on some other editions, not just the the Ryko version. Um, so somebody thought it was a good opener but uh or more than one person yeah. did but uh
0: use like with the riko version you take kiss of me okay and you slide it down so you start with thank you friends then big black car jesus christ everything's perfect and then after for you you put kiss of me then you can't have me which continues the mood mm-hmm. and then goes into nighttime that's cool i think that's you know, for- that, for for all it.
1: the thought or all the talk about there never being really a true sequence, which by the way I think sort of adds to the mythology of this record because it sort totally. of preserves it in this state of permanent chaos because there's never not only
0: that but if you love the record there's a proprietary thing about it that is perfect for a music geek. Okay, so then uh, <clears throat> then for you we already talked about Kiss Me. Uh, for you is the Jody Stevens song and it's as good. As all the rest of the Chilton material, I'll tell you, for a guy who threw about a song per album on the record, he was a really good songwriter.
1: Yeah, I mean, not, not not bad for a drummer, right? Uh yeah, it, yeah. it really is a lovely song. His performance, vocal performance, is great on it. And yeah, we like you said, we owe him for bringing in the strings. And um, yeah. again, yeah, that's that's can't imagine those the songs strings, without strings. The
0: strings. What a, what a terrific choice for this record to bring some some stately grandeur to the proceedings when the proceedings are basically everything falling to pieces is a very wise decision because the counterpoint is very strong
1: and yeah and it sound they sound great so you can't really argue with with not having them on there so so, oh, oh, Dana's next. I'll I'll just take the reins here, uh, Dave. Please, please, uh, oh, please. Man. <laughs> oh, Dana's next. I love the opening line, or well, the opening line is certainly interesting. I'd rather shoot a woman than a man. It's kind of intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, and I do like the song. But I, I, maybe I lump it even with "Kiss Me," where it's maybe it's not one of the best songs in the album, um, but it's still good. I still like it. It totally fits with the album. It's just a lot of times when I think about that album that that rec- that song doesn't really come to mind but um
0: true yeah. I, I agree I, I want to point out the gorgeous string breakdown ending uh nighttime uh, for a very long time this has been my favorite uh, favorite song on the record both but the best and most effective melody and the most barren and depressed tune uh, this Song is a balance, whereas most of the rest of the melo, most of the rest of the album is either melodically gorgeous or chaotically broken down, but not equal amounts of each. Uh, you don't get a more straightforward in you don't get more straightforward in lyric writing than "Get me out of here, get me out of here, I hate it here, get me out of here." You know what, Lionel You know what, Lino always put me in his shoes uh, unerringly. Is walking down a freezing street, scarf goes out behind me. Something about that that, that line, I, I'm there with him, and then a whole lot of shaking going on is literally the definition of essential.
1: Uh, yeah. Shout out to my wife here who who loves Big Star and, and hates this uh, hates this recording. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you you married a fine woman. <laughs> I did indeed. Yeah. I did
1: indeed. Yeah. But I still I still enjoy that recording. Um, it's so, it, it, because it's so chaotic that to me it fits with the record. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah uh you know so there's that but i, I totally
0: my favorite yeah. chaos on this record is the chaos of space so uh, toward that end let's go to the next song kangaroo this one is so much empty space the intensity surrounds yeah. you but the ballad the melody like the affecting grandeur of the whole thing it comes straight to the fore because of all this space
1: i mean in an album full of strange arrangements this is perhaps the 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 strangest one maybe along with with big black car um, yeah the instruments yeah. played at odd rhythms yet there's still like a standard song arrangement so it's that's part of the the beauty and weirdness of of the record is that there's there it's like a, it's a song that has like a an arrangement or a flow of a of what you would say like a normal song but the arrangement is just so. Wild, you know, but it still all yeah. holds together by the basic structure of the of the song, if that makes sense.
0: It does it makes a lot of sense. Um, to a douche like me.
1: <laughs> well, we're douches together then I guess. But, That's uh, right. Um, so yeah, Dickinson came up with that Mellotron part and that incredible feed guitar feedback. Um,
0: after being, oh okay, yeah, I, that that piece of feedback is a complete is the most essential part of the song. Yeah, uh,
1: and that was all after being challenged by Chilton to come up with uh, with something. He was like, uh-huh. "You're the producer, be the be a producer, produce something." So that's yeah, yeah. So Chilton that's cool. Chilton was duly impressed by uh, by that stuff. Yeah,
0: as well he should have been. It really frames what he's going for in a very resounding way. Kangaroo is a great song, and then take care. Uh, is one of the best songs on the album. So heartbreaking in its strip bare production circumstance. And the melody and lyrics are just rot of the bone. And again, the
1: strings. Can you imagine that song with no strings?
0: Like. No. Uh, also, you know, the thing that uh you know just kind of drives me nuts. Maybe you have an answer to for this. Uh, who is Chilton singing this to? So um I like it could be anyone or anything. Um, but in any sense, it you know the some of these lyrics like you know this sounds a bit like a bye and a way it is I guess as I leave your side I've taken the air. Um, that's a what a great lyric. As I leave your side, I've taken the air. Um, also, like I said before, beware of the need for help. You know some really strange left uh, left hooks that really take you by surprise. I think it's
1: part of what makes it great and universal is that's hard to really know who he's singing to. He could, he could even be yeah, singing to himself, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's an incredible, I mean, there's so much melancholy in that, in that song.
0: So we talked about Big Black Car and then Dream Lover, uh, a, a solid atmospheric contribution, but melodically and emotionally not quite on the same level as the rest of the stone-cold classics on the record
1: i feel like emotionally it does it does get me but yeah it's 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 definitely a sparse and weird one um you know the arrangement for it wasn't actually planned out before the recording took place which is a, another strange thing about uh, uh-huh. uh, uh about not only you know this recording about the album in general but just the specific recording where they they didn't actually uh plan it so it's it's being arranged on the fly which is pretty bizarre uh you know, at times this one actually reminded me I we've never talked you and I haven't talked about Scott Walker before, but um it sort of uh brought to mind like the the night flights era of Scott Walker of the um Yeah it had that sort of sound to it to me at times, um, which I hadn't noticed before. Um
0: That's an interesting uh piece to pick up on. Uh I, I don't know about uh Chilton's predilection for, for Walker. Well, was well
1: uh I don't, yeah, I don't know that either. I mean, Night Flights came several years later, so it'd be interesting to know if Scott Walker heard this album, because it was,
0: because... Um, oh, yeah, you're talking about the other way around. Yeah, yeah because, um, yeah.
1: you know, Night Flights is from 78, and that, and right. Third came out in 78, so maybe he did hear it, and it was influenced by it. Who knows? I'd, I've never heard Scott Walker talk about Chilton or Big Star, but... Um,
0: the funniest thing about that record is the dichotomy between Scott's songs and the rest of the guys.
1: It the is. The other
0: guys... Are so fucking bad. You can't have me. Uh that is a really good classic Stones and Who style retributively acerbic rock classic that is really both stands as a, an ultimate fuck you to, to his audience and every record company and production company that ever performed a Ned Beatty deliverance on his butthole. So oh <laughs> the, the, the lyrics kind of don't even make any sense. It's just that phrase repeated over and over again. Uh, and there described in those words is the remainder of his crap solo career.
1: Well, I, I'm just going to jump to saying that I love the song so much. Um, I, I again can't believe it wasn't included on the uh, on the test pressing, but it was on the the, know, the first P the first PVC it, release. It is on that, so they had, at least that label had the good sense to to put it on there yeah, as yeah. they did Big Black Car. That synth bass fucking rules. I mm-hmm. love that so much, and the middle section is incredible.
0: Like it's You're it, about the farts.
1: Yes, the farts. Yes, I I think I love it yeah. though, and the the it's <laughs> like the middle section is like perfectly controlled chaos, and then it just stops on a
0: dime. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that part. That
1: that middle section might be my favorite moment of the entire record. I just I love how it just sounds like it's it's about to go completely off the rails and then just just stops.
0: Yep. Yep. And then uh you got Lovely Day, which is uh that's one of the best uh you know, but it's a Struck at Noel, right? It's an early stroke at Noel. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, yeah, I it's a uh, I'm a little I'm a little Perplexed is why they put this on, Omnivore put this on here, um, why it was chosen, because it it really is just Stroke et all with with different lyrics, um, uh, maybe just to add something to it so it wouldn't be the exact same order as, or the, the amount of tracks as the Ryko version. Um, uh, so yeah i i feel like this is the least essential piece on on, on, yeah. on, on complete. yeah for
0: that for that reason i do like the fry rough mix though that's i'll have go to go back me. and
1: listen to that because um, yeah
0: that's very very pretty um so what comes yeah like like we talked about before what comes across in the box that isn't otherwise communicated to the average listener is the composed chaos at work in the sessions um The the demos on disc one sound incredibly similar to the locked final versions on disc three. So it's a very interesting peek into the mind's eye of The Chilton Man. This is always going to be a great record, although it's not the first album I reach for when I choose to listen to uh, to Big Star. But it's always there, and it always beckons, and it's always five stars.
1: Absolutely, I, you wonderfully said. Um, I would give it five stars as well. I just can't help but say that we skipped a couple tracks.
0: Did we? What did we skip? Well,
1: we skipped till the end of the day the the kick ass Kinks cover.
0: I I did that on purpose. Oh,
1: okay. I thought we were just going through all the complaints. No,
0: I did that on purpose oh. only because I was like, I don't, I don't feel like saying this is a relatively worthless rock and roll workout and not really part of the. Record. Well, then
1: what about Nature Boy? Because I think that's
0: you know that that actually that actually I shouldn't have skipped.
1: Yeah, I think that's essential. I mean, that's uh, that's a cover of the standard Nature Boy, and it, it's the most sparse of all the third uh, recordings. It's it's essentially.
0: It also feels like a fit for the record. It really does. It does,
1: and it, it's essentially just uh, William Eggleston, who uh, did the photography for uh, Radio City the, that album cover he did, um, and he's famous, you know, photographer from Memphis, and it's just he and Alex. So Eggleston's playing the piano. And um, there's some other music maybe mixed in the background that sounds kind of weird that I'm not sure what they're doing. But um, um, during the final verse, um, so Eggleston uh, was on crutches and he had them leaned against the piano. And um, during the final verse, one of the crutches falls and crashes to the ground. And you can actually hear Alex grinning as he's singing. um the last couple <laughs> lines and the, yeah, I mean it's a, it's a kind of a perfect that happy accident is kind of a perfect end to a yeah, yeah. chaotic record. Um, so it is a nice nice end to the to the complete the complete third. Uh, ver- uh, what do you
0: what, what do you give this? I give this,
1: it five this. stars.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, because I, I I've enjoyed being friends with you and I wanted to continue. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so one addendum to this period is the 2015 release of the Jesus Christ EP, uh, only some of which is actually from this period, we'll explain. So, um, there's seven tracks on this EP. Uh, this It's a hardcore barrel scraping, but uh, you have the album version of Jesus Christ, the demo of Jesus Christ, uh, an Untitled Acoustic Instrumental, circa 1968. Um, it's a Chris Bell thing, kind of like a psych-flamenco hybrid, yeah. but re- really just a sketch. Uh, then an Untitled Electric Instrumental, uh, circa 1974 Bell outtake. Um, that had a bit of a it,
1: feel vibe to me, I don't know if you even remember hearing it at this point. Cause
0: yes. I- I, yeah, I do, I do, and, I, and what I wrote was, it could very easily have been transformed into a big star classic. Yeah, it clearly had the. Yeah, uh, this could have been a great song. Maybe
1: you and I should finish uh, it.
0: Yeah, hell yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Then uh, comes "Big Black Card" demo number three, which is a 1974 Chilton outtake. Then the one, uh, the one song that I believe uh, screams out to be airlifted from here into a into the playlist. Another time, another place, in you. Uh, which is a circa nineteen seventy three Chilton outtake with Richard Roseborough. Um, uh, it, this one's going to be on the on the playlist. It's it's a really good song. I like this one. Then, yeah, it's
1: it's again another instrumental. And what's funny to me is, is is this whole Jesus Christ EP was worth it for me just for this because um, I'd heard this yeah. song in bootleg for a number of years, but because it's an instrumental, I was never fully convinced that it wasn't bootleggers just trying to pull something over. Um, you know, so there's no, even though it sounds like a little, it sounds like Big Star well enough, it just, I was never yeah. convinced because there's no vocals, but, uh, here it is. Right. So it's nice to get that confirmation. Yeah, yeah. you know, literally decades later.
0: So this is kind of not applicable for rating. Uh, but if I had to be pressed, I would say two stars. This is, this is not an essential release at all.
1: Yeah. I, mean, I might go two and a half, but yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, but, uh yeah, I mean, I think if you've listened to this far to this podcast, you're probably going to want to at least try to find a download of it or something, because it is long out of print. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. At this point, the group is faced with a, a very less than promising future. And so they do what anyone in their position would do, which is to split up, unless you're in the band called Anvil in which case you don't split up under any circumstances. (laughs) But they didn't really split up. They kind of more accurately, they just kind of dissolved after a very chaotic, by all accounts, Memphis College Radio appearance in 1975. Uh, During 1974 and 75, uh, Chris Bell, Put together the recordings that were finally released in 1992, uh, and called "I Am the Cosmos." This is the only solo album by Chris Bell. Uh, We're not going to cover Chilton's solo stuff because that's a whole career. This is the only stuff that um, that Chris uh, did during his lifetime, and so it's important to be grouped together with the Big Star legacy because he is Big Star.
1: I mean, what a revelation this record was! Because this is another thing that had been bootlegged, but I had not had access to, you know, we're talking, this is the pre-internet days where you, I did a lot of tape trading back then, but I didn't know anybody who had this. Um, I think it's one of those things that like, you know, Peter Buck had, you know, and stuff. Um,
0: It's a truly phenomenal record. And what I found for me is my relationship with the record over the, over time I've come to like it more and more and more. It's just kind of grown on me more. Um, Every time I listen to it, I feel like I like it more. Uh, that said, I don't. I don't think it's a perfect record. It's not as good as number one record, uh, but it belongs. Uh, it's like the same level of quality as all the big star stuff. The title track alone is worth the uh, the price of admittance. Um, yeah. It really is an amazing song. That kind of has a vibe of like you know a, a guy with uh, with with girl trouble who realizes the insignificance of his problems in the face of the universe, Um, and definitely heir apparent to the big star chalice. Um, You compare this to what Chilton's sensibilities were leaning toward at the time, and there is a very major difference. Um, And so to me, it's it's quite obvious there was no way these two could continue to cohabitate any longer.
1: I mean, I think they could have. Um it's just I mean I think that's part of the thing of made their partnership interesting because they were coming from two different angles. Um but I mean yeah the song I am the cosmos, I mean, it's such an incredible song. I mean his voice is just drenched in sadness. It has that, you know, incredible opening yeah. line, every night I tell myself I am the cosmos, I am the wind, but that won't get you back again. Um yeah, uh, yeah just like the extreme pain of a breakup with like the other person still kind of hanging on a bit and won't let you fully go um and just you know the, the whole pain of loneliness I mean it's just really a and it's sometimes a hard uh, song to to both you know take and shake it's just uh, and it also just sounds incredible too uh it's
0: it does. great it great does.
1: recording um uh yeah recorded 74 or seventy five. It's, it's a masterpiece really. it is it really is I, I think it is his, his masterpiece um I'm I might like one other song better, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah, yeah uh, I know the song. Uh, but uh, yeah, this was as as you said earlier. This was the only song, along with uh, the song. I think you know what I'm talking. What I'm talking about, you and your sister, on uh, the B side yeah. was the only thing re- solo record released in Chris's lifetime in, in '78. You know, right right before he passed.
0: And then um, you know the record really doesn't relent. Um, there's so many good songs and it is kind of front loaded the, uh, you know, in looking at it from 30,000 feet here, uh, you know, there's a, there's a barrage of, uh, looks like five songs that are just classics one after the other, um, before it, the, the, the quality is a, just a tiny bit more variable, but "Better Save Yourself" is incredible. Uh, this one's got portent scrawled all over its being. Uh, the dude's at unbelievable odds with himself, and you can hear it very clearly in this song.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, he admits to attempting suicide twice. I mean, that's pretty. I mean, how often do you hear that sort of you know confession in a song? That's really yeah, intense. Yeah. Um, it does have a little bit of the, you know, you know, Chris became a born-again Christian, so has a bit of that sort of stuff in here, too. You should should give your love to Jesus. At one point, it even sounds like really angry. Uh, uh, the line where you've been sitting on your own, I noticed, like, he, he sounds, like, kind of angry, which is also a, an intensity that's you know, uh, unique to this particular song. Um,
0: yeah, it's a little scary how uh, the guy seems to seriously be engaged in a battle uh, on uh within himself uh speed of sound is probably the most beautiful song on the entire record whether or not it's uh the best song uh it, you know it's it's simply just gorgeous ballad with what sounds like marimba i'm guessing very tastefully deployed for maximum weepage factor i love this song
1: yeah i, I particularly like the line so you find him attractive so what if he is um yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but Getaway is, is the next song that that's pretty hard rocker uh, uh, that's Alex and Jody on, on this one
0: um, which gives it kind of a Can we talk about the insane madness of those drum fills? I'm wondering yeah. if those are like double triple quadruple tracked just to make it sound like an onslaught like it does
1: Could be, yeah I mean, uh you know, to me too it's made it's it sort of makes it sound like a just because Alex and Jody and Jody's, you know, fills it makes it sound like a kind of a uh, it does kind of sound like a number one record track. Um
0: and then of course, you know, the a turning point moment, you and your sister. This is it. This is the last yeah. one with Chilton. Such a heartbreaking song.
1: It really is. I mean, this is most this is Chris's most beautiful song.
0: This is the end of the story. Um I got kind of lost. This I this I kind of dig. This is um 'Cause it's like singer, like a singer-songwriter song that's gussied up as a rocker with sensitive old lyrics and a Who-style vibe. So this, I'm all about. Though I know she lies is a dead ringer for fucking Dan Fogelberg.
1: I thought of more than words. Um, yeah,
0: that too, man. That's it's not it's no good. Yeah, I'm glad they I'm glad they jammed it in at the end. It's the it's um, the only
1: track from '76 on, on the entire record. And so he, he apparently was moving in some sort of different direction. That I guess we'll never fully know because this is pretty much they pretty much yeah put everything on here as far as recordings.
0: There's a few songs on disc two that are going to go on the playlist. Just want to mention those. Um, Stay with me with Keith Sykes. Don't know what that's about don't know who he is didn't bother reading anything about it it's a good song in my darkest hour with nancy brian same shit, different toilet um just to let you know oh actually sorry neither of these will be on the playlist oh phew
1: i'm, re- uh, I'm relieved <laughs>
0: they're, they're, yeah they're not on spotify um so long baby aka clagton rag is a beautiful esque solo acoustic bell, uh Is a beautiful esque solo acoustic eulogy for Bell. Um, so this one is going to be airlifted straight onto the hallowed playlist. But other than that, that's it for that. I give. Um, I am the cosmos four and a half stars. I'm going four. You're going four. Yeah. It's understandable. So. Uh, <laughs> The way you said so that it if, made
1: me think I should feel some shame.
0: So if... <laughs> so uh that, no, no, like we're you sh- almost uh, said
1: under-shameable.
0: <laughs> no, not at all, man. No, no, what you're... you're, you're you rating it a four is very reasonable. Um, Thank you. So... Uh, <laughs> Chris Bell told a journalist named Barry Ballard back in 1975, in ye old days of 1975, if Big Star could overcome some personal difficulties, if we could get it together, I know we could do something very well. Um, So Chilton years later with uh, another journalist named Russell Hall said, I don't know if Chris wanted to work together again or not. I don't remember that being the case. I mean, musicians get together to do things all the time on all sorts of bases. I personally had no intentions of ever getting back together in a band with anybody again, pretty much. So that's where he stood. And in 75, uh, just as a testament to this whole thing and the finality of it, he comes out with My Rival, uh, which is an EP. Uh, I'm sorry, he doesn't come out with that. He, He does that records that
1: yeah that was a demo uh, this, that was a demo that he was doing
0: and it was produced by chris bell
1: right so this is kind of an interesting story like everyone thought for decades that um you and your sister was the last time that alex and chris um collaborated in any way um so chris doesn't actually appear um you can hear him talking once or twice on the recording but he doesn't you know he yeah, doesn't yeah. perform on it um
0: here's what i'm going to say about this period here I'm going to step back because Bart is actually um, uh, palpably involved with this story because he broke this story. Uh, I wasn't even aware of it. So um, he's the one who uh, hipped me to the whole thing to start with. What was it intended for? I
1: think it was uh, purely as what you would call it, you know, a a, a demo where it was just to to document his songs and and pitch it to labels, which, you know, again, seems sort of uh, crazy considering how, you know, you thought if you think third is 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 fucked up. I mean, this this stuff is pretty pretty crazy. It's really
0: rough. It's yeah. really rough.
1: One thing I really like about this though is, is there's two versions of this song called "She Might Look My Way," which has been described as Alex's like final Big Star esque song. Uh, it's a really great song that he never he never officially released until until this you know until this record there was never an, uh, an official alex version that had come out um
0: what a great song yeah
1: and and uh on the second version chris does some really nice uh layering of chilton's background vocals um so that's kind of like a a, a nice ending in a way to their yeah. collaboration because uh of chris's production work there on on a such a great chilton song that yeah calls back to you know when they were working together um so, um, so yeah, we didn't rate this or anything.
0: If you're Chilton fans and Big Star fans, you're gonna you're gonna be familiar with a lot of these things. There's you know an early take of My Rival, which was later recut for Like Flies on Sherbert. Uh, All of the Time, which was recut for Singer Not the Song EP and the Box Bottom album. Um, and then She Might Look My Way, you may know from uh, Tommy. H- Is it pronounced Hone? I think so. Tommy Hone's uh, 1978 record, Losing You to Sleep, or Pricks, or Pre, or however they decided to pronounce that, and Windows Hotel, uh, which was on a live album, Ocean Club 77. So, you know, these tracks are available all over the place. These are not the ultimate iterations of them. The songs on this literally get better as they go. So I don't know if that was on purpose, but as a concept, it's certainly an interesting Concept album EP, um, but um, hey, as a producer, Chris Bell makes a great songwriter. Two and a half stars. <laughs> well, I
1: did not know where you are reading this one, but uh, sure, two and a half. No, no a half stars. it was
0: actually yeah. NA or two and a half. Okay, impressed. okay. Well, I'm glad
1: you. Stick, I, I'm stick glad you would not. I'm glad you didn't hate it. I'll, I will go that far.
0: I didn't hate okay. it.
1: So the, the the pricks thing is is I think what we're going to talk about next, and that's. Interesting, too, because that was also, you know, Chilton and Bell were involved in this project, but I don't know if there's any documentation of them actually working together in the studio. So the recordings for this go to as far as 76. It's like 75, 76. But the My Rival EP is still considered the last time they they worked together. Um, but it it, it, yeah, it, my, it is confusing. My Rival,
0: yeah, my, so here's the, the, from what I have gleaned. Here's the story behind Pricks. Uh, and here, actually, I want to start by saying this. This is not canon, so it's N.A., okay? There's going to be no star rating accompanying this. But what I want to say very clearly, because I don't hear enough about this record, is that this is amazing, and every big star fan needs to own it. It's an incredible collection of songs that actually continues some of the magical sparkling power pop vibe of number one record. Uh, it's definitely second wave power pop. So it's filtered and such through the natural organic fade of early 70s Beatle magic in the air. It is crucial shit. Yeah, so I like it, yeah. That being said, so Pricks or Pre or what have you started off after Tommy Hone and John Tiven had done time in the last version of Big Star. So, Chris Bell was roped in for production, as well as guitar and backup vocals, and uh, Rick Clark was added in on bass, and uh, it was cut in Ardent, and that's what it is, and almost all the songs are just freaking amazing. So, um, what are your thoughts on Pricks? And the record's called Historics.
1: Yeah, I like it. Yeah, we should say it came out in 2002 initially, and then... Um... Hozak, which is a great uh, label, put out an expanded version of it a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I think it's a, I, think I agree. You know, it's a solid power pop record.
0: This is kind of like the last, the last thing for a long time that we'll be talking about musically. Not long after the release of Sister Lovers, and we're talking 78, um, Chris Bell died in a car accident. So he apparently lost control of his car while driving alone and uh, struck a lamppost um so a blood test did find that he wasn't drunk and no drugs were found on him other than a bottle of vitamins. So he either fell asleep or became distracted. But well I'm going to say yeah. that, you know it's a it's a real shame with with him. It totally it's is. A, but
1: I I I think too I've heard reports that there was no like yeah tire tracks or any no skid marks found at the the scene. So he very well could have fallen asleep but there's also debate if he deliberately, you know, ran into that telephone pole um that's
0: that takes balls if that's how you choose to kill yourself that takes balls
1: i mean it's still tragic no matter what and we'll never know we'll never know the answer Um, yeah
0: but yeah Yeah, definitely definitely a sad thing there's there's gutsier ways to, to kill yourself and that would that would be up there um so you know, this sort of, uh, the, there's like a 15-year period that follows, over 14 years, uh, where there's a sort of the wilderness and reassessment years. Uh, so Chilton produces The Cramps and shits out a bunch of records, about which I obviously couldn't give a rat's ass, including Like Flies on Sherbert. Then he washes dishes in New Orleans for a while. Uh, Jody Stevens returns to Arden as studio manager and makes countless appearances on other big star Acolytes records. He's apparently one of the nicest people on the planet, from what I've heard. Um, so the one, for them, the one-two pop cultural punch was the Bangles covering September Girls on 1986's Different Light, which was a huge mega-seller album, and the replacement song Alex Chilton off 1987's Pleased to Meet Me. They kind of experienced a second wind, uh, another era because they become a cause to rally around, Uh, basically a fundamental musical discovery, just waiting in the wings for the imminently zealous. Um, And Big Star returned in 1993 with a new lineup when John Auer and Ken Stringfellow from the Posies uh, got together with Chilton and Jody Stevens. Um, So they remained members of the Posies. which they had founded in 1986, who were also a great band. Um, And uh, Hummel elected not to participate. I'm not quite sure what he's up to these days. Do you know? Well, let's just say... Oh, actually, I know he's passed away, Yeah,
1: that was debatable in retrospect. Like, Andy Hummel said that he was never actually approached about it, so there may have been some... Oh, really? Well, there may have been some miscommunication. Like, they called him and he never responded for whatever reason, but... um, uh yeah so that's only something i found out in in recent years but yeah he, he basically just like got out of the music business as you were saying earlier right. altogether. so
0: got out while the get was good so the res the resurrected band uh wound up making its debut at the 1993 university of missouri spring music festival uh and a recording of the performance was issued as columbia live at missouri university um There was, uh, you know, following that was tours of Europe and Japan, an appearance on The Tonight Show, you name it, you got it. So their first post-reunion studio recording was the song Hot Thing, uh, which was recorded in the the mid-90s for the tribute album Big Star, Small World. Um, But, uh, you know, as with their prior studio releases, the tribute album was plagued by issues as well. It was delayed for years because of the record company going under. They These guys seriously couldn't even get a break for a second. So in 2005, they release a record called In Space. This record's a very interesting thing to talk about if you like records like Bob Dylan's Self-Portrait and things of that nature. Um, because the way I feel about it is how do you do you like in space are you a fan Bart no no okay at all well I think you know um,
1: it's sort of admirable that they that at least you know um, Jody Ken and, and John tried to make like a big star sounding album Alex obviously had no interest in doing that which um, you know artistically I guess you can't really blame him for that it's just sort of weird that um, you know he's the dominant singer and songwriter. Well, there's all the songs are credited jointly, but you know he sings most of the songs, um, but none of them really sound like Big Star, um, so
0: right, which you know, which you know, that was you know barely even his band. So I understand that you know, of course he's going to explore different styles, um, but you know here's what I think about this record. This is ultimately how I feel. And then we can go into the songs themselves or, you know, we don't even have to talk about all the songs. We could talk about a few of them that you may like. Um, But uh, he's just kind of an asshole. He's an ornery dude. And Chilton knows that those three albums create an arc that is stunning in its perfection. Well, he doesn't. And think so, that. As an ask, I think it's some maybe at a base level he realizes that their arc tells a perfect story. So the prick that he is, uh, he purposely fucked up the best and most economical three-album run in band history, uh, and you know, with this meaningless uh, postscript and the the record itself it sounds like a band practicing poorly and with no verve whatsoever to play big star in a shitty vh1 biopic
1: <laughs> well you know i think that would be a very alex-like thing to do to sabotage his uh his legacy but i, I don't know that that, right. that was really his intent and i understand two of him trying different styles and and doing different things and i i you know, in some ways the big star reunion thing was almost a big surprise just because alex never seemed like he was really willing to fake it but obviously he, he in some ways he could um i guess the stuff they played live he said he liked but that was the only stuff he liked from big star that's why they basically played the same right. set for you know 18 years so the only songs he really liked were the ones they would do um yeah
0: um but um, nothing is going nothing's going on the playlist, and look, I don't feel stro- like like it was like they're a terrible outfit no it was I'm glad they got back together uh there's only three songs I would even mention here, which is turn my back on the sun uh a Ken string fellow song uh Beach Boys pastiche uh, pro- probably my favorite song on the record which is saying a lot for me as far as how I feel about this but um February's quiet. Uh, Jody Stevens' song. Yeah. is a good solid song. I like. Possibly I like his
1: other one too. I like Best Chance. I think that's a good one. Too. I think both those songs sound like they could have been on Radio City.
0: Best Chance uh, feels more like toothpaste commercial music. Okay, I thought it was a pretty good song, but
1: yeah, uh, whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'd say probably the best song on the record, after extremely careful consideration, is Hung Up with Summer because uh it, it's got some really tasteful 12 string soloing on it and it's got a cool vibe and long stretches where they're just kind of given into the groove but ultimately who cares about this record i give it two stars i
1: also gave it two stars
0: and then rhino records released that incredible box set uh keep an eye in the sky then in uh, on march seventeenth, two 2010 alex chilton uh, had a heart attack and died pronounced dead on arrival at Tulane Medical Center in New Orleans. Um, that was pretty much the end, because four months after his death, uh, Andy Hummel died of cancer on July 19, 2010. The May 2010 tribute performance uh, would would stand as the group's final show as Big Star. It, it wasn't his last show with Aaron Stringfellow, uh, but that was the last Big Star show. So since then, a documentary, a really good documentary called Big Star, Nothing Can Hurt Me, came out in 2012. Um, but uh, look, these guys, as far as an in, uh, in arc, you know, they exploded onto the scene like a technicolor firework, shooting out sparks of every color of the rainbow. And then circumstance snuffed the light right out until the abyss was boring a hole straight back at them. Their top three records: number three, and you're going to hate me for this, brother. Radio City. Number two, third. Sister Lovers. Number one. Uh, number one record. Their worst album. Duh. In space.
1: Yeah, you know it, it's really tough to pick these records, and um, I think ultimately I have to go with my heart on this stuff. So mine's sort of the inverse. I. It's hard to even say it, I mean, because you have to pick something. I think I would go... Say it! I think I would go number one record three, uh, third Sister Lovers two, and Radio City one. Um I'm uh it's just a personal preference. I mean it's all it really is. I'm, I'm not even and then
0: obviously in space well, uh, is the worst. I would
1: go with the weirdness for my uh for my I'm sorry. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> that's, that's the, the awful
0: st- <laughs> Man, that album sucks. It does. So
1: but I ho- I hope we do this too just so we can talk about those uh Oh
0: it's, yeah. It's it's yeah, funny that, out no, there the,
1: the similar arc there though, right? I mean um Yeah, yeah. Um Uh, so, um, yeah. In space easily. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, look, man, uh, I I gotta tell you, this was uh, a big, like if you were just some, if you were some guy off the street. Uh, who had an unimpressive CV and had recommended, hey, let's do Big Star. Uh, There'd be no way, because they're a major band for me. They're a huge one, um, as I'm sure you can respect. I instantly said yes. I'm so glad I did. It's been a great episode and a very revealing trawl musically for me to experience on my own, and then very satisfying to bring it to the fucking dinner table here, brother.
1: Yeah, I love doing this, man. I'm so glad you wanted to do it. It's uh, yeah, I'm honored to have uh, to talk to you, with you about this, and uh, um, you you did an amazing job. I, I don't know why you're not writing. I think you should. You, your writing on this show is incredible. Um, that's one of, one of the things I've enjoyed just about listening is you know to hear your uh, you talking about the about all the history and all that stuff. You do you do, do a fantastic job. So.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Bart. I appreciate and you that. Have no... I actually.
1: Sorry, I want to compliment you some more, so I'm going to interrupt you. But I uh, think you also have a, a great voice for this too. You have...
0: Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on the show, and to all you soldiers of sound out there, keep tuned in because we have a lot of great shit rolling down the pike on Discography.